1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. And what's up, everybody? Welcome to the midweek edition of the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham. I'm joined over the phone by Mr. John Hoover. Um, Later on in the podcast, everybody, I mean, John and I are only going to be talking for about the next 20, 30 minutes or so, just depending on what all we get into. I mean, you can only get into so much because it is South Dakota, as everybody is well aware. This game is on Saturday. It's not on Sunday. And, John, I've had to tell myself that because for the last two weeks, I had to keep telling myself that the game was on Sunday for Houston and not to sound like a fool on a podcast or on a radio spot. Yeah, not only is it on Saturday, it's on pay-per-view. For the, it's not on Sunday, it's on television. So, uh, yeah, so. For the low, low price of fifty four ninety nine or ninety nine ninety nine on the SoonerSports.tv app if you want to p- pair it with an annual package. So okay. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be, you know, just screw it. Let's just bet. Let's just throw all our money at this game because it's it's such a huge game, John. Um, oh, yeah, championship a, aspirations. Barn burner. What we will learn so much about this game because those – I don't even know what they're called. Bless their hearts from South Dakota. I don't know what their team name is. The Coyotes. The Coyotes. The Coyotes. Is South Dakota State the Jackrabbits? Uh, I believe that's right. Yeah, that, that's cooler. That's a cooler name. They, they went down to TCU, what, two years ago and almost won, I think, South Dakota State. Um, I think so. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I get them and the North Dakotas mixed up, and then somebody's always beating Kansas State. Yeah, I get them all mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's not it's not the cool one. It's not North Dakota State. It's not even the cooler South Dakota school. But hey, I don't really want to crap on these guys. I mean, they're getting paid handsomely to have their ass kicked, John. But yeah. um, it, they're still they're still kids. They're still y- um, young men. Um, all of which are probably excited to play in an arena like uh, Memorial Stadium, um, Owen Field, in front of eighty five thousand fans. You know, this is a dream for a lot of these kids, and you know they're 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 not as obviously not as talented as their counterparts at OU because if they were, they'd be at bigger schools. So I, I don't necessarily want to crap on them, John, but um, I'll just get it out of the way. Is there anything positive we can take away from this game, even going into it, and then maybe like you know an hour or so after the game when we've all like, okay, what did we just see? Are we going to be able to learn anything positive about this team moving forward, playing a FCS opponent like South Dakota? You know, probably not. Um, you want to you want to see the the defense uh, not go into a shell. You want to see them not give up a couple of fifty yard touchdowns, that kind of thing. That's about it, really. That's about it. I mean, if the offensive line comes out and just mauls people, what's it going to prove? Uh, if Jalen Hurts goes out and throws for three hundred and eighty yards, what's it going to prove? You know, C.D. Lamb, all those guys, any anybody that's a backup, say Nick Basquin has one hundred and seventy yards receiving. What's that really going to prove? It's to me, it's one thing. You're looking for more defensive communication. Uh, you're looking for tackling. All right, because if you can't tackle against these guys, you better hang up the boots. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like the the only positive thing I'm taking out of, and you kind of just already touched on it, is just continue that consistency that we saw at least, especially in the first three quarters against Houston, and especially on defense. Um, yeah, like you said, if 
oh, you can't tackle these slower, you know, uh, skill guys on South Dakota that are, you know, l- much worse than they were against Houston. Uh, then that's that's not good. But at the at the very least, you just want to continue what you were able to do and put on film against Houston against South Dakota. Sure, tackling. If you got if somebody gets to the defensive line, well, linebackers take care of the job. Safeties take care of the job. Um, that's really what I want to see defensively. Uh, maybe keep up that motor a little bit longer so that South Dakota doesn't score, you know, just a bogus touchdown or two to make the score look a little bit more respectable or just to make box score watchers go, oh, what a weird score. I thought, oh, you would have killed them by 50, not 30 anyway. Um, And I guess offensively, the things that we need to learn from Jalen Hurts and Sam Mays talked about it on his on his podcast, the Sam Mays podcast. uh, So everybody go subscribe to that as well. Um, but the things that we need to see from Jalen Hurts, and that's anticipating throws, uh, reading the defense maybe a little bit longer, trusting the reads. Um, he didn't necessarily have to do a lot of that against uh, Houston. A lot of it was his first read. A lot of it was uh, just feeling the, the defense and then taking off because he took off 16 times, uh, and 15 of which apparently, according to Dan Orlovsky on ESPN, were designed quarterback runs. So, yeah. So like the things that we want to that we need to learn from Jalen Hurts. I don't think you're going to really need to see it or even see it against South Dakota. Um, no, I agree. I agree. There's, there's there's not a huge value in this game, and I think the coaching staff is smart enough to know that uh, going in. Um, but they're, you better believe they're going to coach these guys up. They're going to have them kind of pointed in the, you know, it, it, it reminds, reminds me of a, like an attack dog on a leash, you know. When the attack dog knows there's no danger, is he really going to be that fit, vicious of an attack dog? Right. Yeah. But but if the attack dog knows that there might be danger coming, uh, he's going to be on edge, and that's what I'm that's what I'm wondering is if Oklahoma's going to go into this game on edge. Well, you know, and the the other thing that I've kind of taken from from this week, um, just trying to figure out ways that you can think find something positive out of a out of a easy victory against South Dakota. You know, even last year. And I don't want to keep going back to last year, but that's what that's what we have, and that's what this defense, particularly the defense, not just the team, but just the defense, that's what they have to build off of. There were times last year, and I'll use Kansas as an example. It does it didn't matter. Kansas still racked up yards. Kansas still scored points, and OU still had all the talent. OU still had all the just every advantage that you could possibly have. They played at home, and Kansas still ran up and down the field on them. And I'm not saying that South Dakota is going to do the same thing. And I know that this is a, a different year a different mentality and a different attitude from this defense. But um, I, I can still sit there on Saturday and either listen to the broadcast because I'm probably not going to pay for the damn thing. It's too much money. But there are things that I can take away from this game that, that could be positive. Because um, I hate to I hate to take uh, Andrew Gilman's um, stance on this. Cause, I mean, even because later on, guys, and just to pull back the curtain a little bit, um, I'm recording this section of the podcast second with John. I actually recorded something that'll come later with Andrew Gilman towards the end of the show first. Um, but Gilman, you know, we're not, we're not silly. We all expect Jalen Hurts to trot out there onto the field, but Gilman takes the the approach that the only thing that you can really learn positive or negative is negative. Somebody could get hurt. Somebody could get dinged up. That could lead to potential uh, hampered play down the road when you're playing a team like, like uh, South Dakota so again, I'm just trying to think of ways, John, that you can watch this game and it not be a complete and utter waste of time. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're you're definitely onto something in that <laughs> in that 
what what are Sooner fans going to learn about their team? No, okay, number one, let's just say number one, job one, always, uh, don't get anybody hurt. Injuries happen. Uh, they could happen in practice. They could happen uh, on Jenkins between the, uh, the 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 residence hall and the practice field. You know what I mean? They can happen literally anywhere. Yeah, I remember Brandon Everidge wa- walking down the tunnel at um, OSU yep. in 2002, like Rufus told us. Yep. So, um, so that's job one, but there's not really anything you can do about it. You can't plan for it other than to say you're not playing today. Now, of course, as preposterous as it is to say somebody's not playing today because – it's uh, you know it's South Dakota. Uh, that's just not going to work. That's not reality. Yep. It's not. That's not how college football works. That's not how um, Oklahoma works. Not how Lincoln Riley works. Jalen Hurts will get a half, and then this is the beauty of this: is that is okay. You know, hey, he needs a half. He needs another half of football before he goes to UCLA, and he needs another half of football. It certainly won't hurt him. I'm bad Ho- you hopefully, turn a phrase there. Hopefully, it won't hurt him. <laughs> Uh, it certainly won't set him back any to to get more work in Lincoln Riley's offense um, before he sees the Texas Longhorns in whatever it is four or five weeks. So no, he he needs work. But the beauty of of games like this is you get to say Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler, you're going to be alternating series in the third and fourth quarter, and I want to see what you got. So that to me is where this thing really gets elevated. Yeah, there's a value. In, playing somebody other than Jalen Hurts, but I want to see who the next quarterback's going to be, uh, just in case something does happen to Hurts. You know, you, you need to know who your quarterback and who your backup is and, and what the third teamer's capable of and that kind of thing. Yeah, and in the past, when OU has had a stable of quarterbacks in their room, um, there have been there have been examples where OU has played an opponent like this or, you know, whoever, and OU just blows them out. And we see all three quarterbacks. You see the starter, of course, mm-hmm. the backup in the second and third, and then you pretty much see the third string guy um, in the fourth quarter. I can't really remember a particular game, but I know there were some games during the um, that that era when Keith Nickel was quarterback, when Joey Halsey was quarterback, that era. Like, I know there were some games where you saw all three guys, but – like my question, like going into this, like when OU ultimately goes up to a point where Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler come out, is what exactly do we see Lincoln Riley allow those guys to do? I mean, with Tanner Mordecai, who played, who showed up against Houston, all he did was hand the ball off. Unless I'm completely mistaken and forgetting about a play, which could have yeah. possibly, which could have happened, John. I was, I had a few beverages by that point in the in the night, yeah. so. Um, we didn't see. Well, that's the that's the tough part for uh, beat writers and columnists who are at the game is that we leave the press box after studying each play and watching intently everything unfold. We jump in the elevator and then we get in the elevator and we're stuck in the elevator for a couple minutes and then we uh, have to transition our way down to the field or to the interview room or whatever. So I missed the, basically the final seven minutes of that game last night. I didn't see Ramondre Stevenson's t- last week. Uh, I didn't see Ramondre Stevenson's touchdown. I didn't see there was a like a late stop or something like that, or the you know, crowd got excited about something. The fourth down stop, I guess. So yeah, uh, I, I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to be able to parse out and say this is what you're going to see from the the backup, and this is what you're going to see from the third stringer. But I say just open it up, open up the offense. Open, say you guys have control of the playbook for at least until the score gets really really ugly, and then we're going to start being conservative and handing the football off to our fourth string running back. Um, I think you you let those guys compete because all you've seen them compete so far, especially Rattler, is training camp, is practice. So get him out there on the field, see what he can do. You've got four games to redshirt him. 
and uh, it's an FCS opponent. You know, it's not like he's going to get hit by a 375-pound defensive lineman or, you know, anything like that. 6'2", 240-pound safety or anything like that. They don't they don't have guys like that. So uh, get them out there and see what they can do. Let them take the, take the reins off and let them run. Well, first of all, John, I, I really don't want to hear it just because I cover the Oklahoma City Thunder, also known as the most chaotic, cardiac, <laughs> annoying team that has ever existed. You could have a full story and underst- a full story written and understanding how the game has gone and how it's going to go, and yeah. then you have to delete it because when I'm going downstairs from Cloud City up in Press Row yeah. and Chesapeake Energy Arena, <laughs> by the time I get down, oh, Russell Westbrook and the Thunder have tied the game. It's going into overtime. I have to change all my angles, all my questions, so <laughs> it affects us all. But, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, my, my whole question about that earlier of about who opens it up a little bit more, either Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler, was mainly just due to if we're to believe that Spencer Rattler is everything that we've been told, you know, from his recruiting, from recruiting services, from people like Rufus who have been in practice, who have had nothing but glowing things to say about the kid. I'm wondering if the, these last few extra weeks, if Spencer Rattler is able, has been able to maybe get a little bit closer to Tanner Mordecai than he maybe was two or three weeks ago. And if that's the case, and yeah. we, we, you know, we're in the third quarter and Tanner Mordecai has basically just thrown horizontal uh, mm-hmm. passing routes and handed the ball off, and then all of a sudden Spencer Rattler comes in and then is just tossing the ball down the field. And I think that gives you a pretty, indi- a pretty good indicator that if – the worst were to happen and Jalen Hurts has to go out for a play or two later on in the year. By that point, I don't think it'd be that surprising to see Spencer Rattler go out there. Um, yeah, that would be correct. I, I see what you're saying there. And, and uh, I, I would, if, if I were Lincoln, I would not make the mistake of, and, and Hey, it's his quarterback. So he can do what he wants. And he's a lot smarter than me when it comes to stuff like that. I would not um, have Tanner Mordecai, you know, roll the, the, the easy playbook out there, the safe playbook. I would I would give him the full the full Monty and say, if you can lead us down the field and into the end zone, you get to stay in. If not, Rattler's coming off the bench and vice versa. If Rattler can get us a touchdown, he gets to go back. Whoever doesn't score, it's like make it, take it. You know, whoever doesn't score doesn't get the ball back. So I'd like to see a, just an open kind of competition because, like you said, he's. Mordecai's been here for two springs now. He's been here for two training camps. He's been here for an entire summer, uh, two summers. And now, uh, you know, he's gotten some game action. And so now you want to see um, what the young kid can do. And, and to make it fair to Tanner, you've got to give Tanner the full, uh, the full arsenal to, to be able to go into this thing. So, don't, I mean, that would be completely unfair if he, if he gave him a restricted playbook and then turn around with the score of 58 to nothing said Spencer Rattler go get him that would be totally unfair to Tanner exactly um well one factor that you could look forward to in this game against South Dakota that that is actually beneficial to the team moving forward and I think it's incredibly important is just the building chemistry on this offensive line now the offensive line you know if you look at this if you look at the box score you know OU rushed for a lot of yards Jalen Hurts had the vast majority of them Trey Sermon had big runs Kennedy Brooks had one big run Ramondre Stevenson, like you said, John, the touchdown that you missed. Um, the offensive line showed a lot of potential, and yes, knowing the opponent, you know, Houston is not 
2005 TCU or 2009 BYU defensively by any means, but they did have a good first showing with a lot of inexperienced guys that are playing with each other for the first time. But there were some bad spots, and particularly on the left side of that uh, offensive line with uh, Swenson and R.J. Proctor, which Lincoln Riley basically said, like you told us on the last podcast at the presser, that, yeah, those guys need to figure it out and figure it out quick. Now, um, South Dakota, yeah, not a, not a great opponent, not fun for the fans, but there is something to be said about reps and chemistry when it concerns your offensive line, and those are that's beneficial in this game. And maybe just having that little ego boost, that confidence built up from just smacking around a little undersized defensive line from South Dakota on top of a pretty solid performance for the first time against Houston, I mean, that's going to be good going on the road. So you'd like basically what, I, what I'm trying to say is, the left side needs to figure it out. The right side needs to continue what they were doing on on last Sunday. And if those happen, if those things happen, and there's improvement, of course, you've got to feel good about OU going on the road in the Rose Bowl uh, for Week Three against UCLA. Yeah, and that's the main thing is is the left side of that line figuring it out. We talked about Eric Swenson being injured in the preseason um, and not getting a full camp to to really become the starter, and so RJ Proctor had to slide out from his natural position of guard and and play some left tackle and I think you saw protection issues uh, from both guys and and I think it certainly wasn't anything physical it was more of a recognition and a mental processing part of it um, a couple of times and I'm not going to try to pretend to be Rufus here because uh, he really breaks down the game um, you know thoroughly and, and accurately but uh, it's like it's like a couple he played of times before. you could see the um, you could see the Houston defensive line run a twist maybe on the end or some kind of some kind of uh, edge stunt yeah. or make make it look like there was pressure coming when there wasn't and guys guys were just not certain about what to do on the left side of the line and to be clear Marquise Hayes we're talking about the tackle position Marquise Hayes played great uh, Lincoln said uh, the right side of the line played great Lincoln said so specifically he was talking about left tackle and I think with more reps I think Swenson as I, as I said previously um, I've been told that Swenson is the uh, future star of this offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I may I may be getting lukewarm information there. Or I may be getting a you know a hot tip, but uh, he's the guy that I'm told has the most long term potential. So I expect him to be. Yeah, this is this is a perfect game for him. You know, South Dakota is going to come in. They're undersized. They're small. They're slow. They're huge underdogs. They're going to come in and they're going to throw caution to the wind. They're going to say, "Let's blitz." We saw some things on tape. Uh, let's attack the left side. Let's let's really expose this Swenson kid or this R.J. Proctor kid. I think moving Proctor back to guard and having Swenson out at tackle for a full game will really be productive. Uh, this is a perfect opportunity for those guys to really learn on the on the job training uh, in this game. And I guess one more thing on the offense, John. And this can be this can be somebody that already played and made some plays against Houston, but maybe you wanted to see a little bit more. Or it could be somebody that hasn't played yet. You know, whether it be one of the uh, Trajan Bridges, Theo Weiss, and I know they both logged some snaps, but they didn't necessarily make the impact that a Jaden Hazelwood did when that game was on paper still competitive. Um, but is is there anybody that you're wanting to see maybe for the first time that you're looking forward to on offense? Because there's probably going to be plenty of opportunity this Saturday. Or do you want to see something a little bit more from maybe like a guy like Charleston, Charleston Rambo who has flashed his entire career at OU and has really started to come on over the last two games and really showed it off on Sunday. But is, is there a guy that you've like penciled that, like, I can't wait to see this guy and what he can bring to the table on Saturday? 
give me Drake Stoops. <laughs> no, uh, I will. Uh, I will say. Um, I think you're right on on target with Rambo. I mean, uh, you know, the few opportunities that he's had, he's really shined. Yeah. Um, of course, I'd like to see something out of these freshman receivers. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, Theo Weiss or Jaden Hazelwood or Trajan Bridges, but Rambo seems to, and maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but he seems to have created a little bit of separation between himself and Jaden Hazelwood. He's been he's been afforded a handful of opportunities, and he always seems to produce. So, and boy, did he produce the other day! He he got that that uh, little little quick post and turned it into a, whatever sixty yard touchdown. And, and he did it with just blazing speed. And he, and he showed some strength and balance at the end of the run when he got tackled. He got hit before the goal line, but was able to, to you know, stay up long enough to cross the goal line for the touchdown. Yeah, that, that shows to me a competitiveness. I remember Bob Stoops used to always talk about Mark Clayton's competitiveness after the catch. Did not want to get tackled. And that's something that, you know, as I cover this team, as I've continued to cover this team for the last 15 years or so, that's a quality that I look that I look for in a wide receiver. You know, you don't know. You, you see these guys come in, you know, Ferraris and well tuned and five stars and all this. I want to see a guy that fights after he catches the football and you know isn't just magically gifted. You know, bigger and stronger or faster than everybody else. I want to see the guy who is willing to uh, knock people around or fight through a tackle or keep his feet after he's been hit. And I think that's what we're starting to see a little out of from Charleston Rambo. Yeah, and that's interesting that you made that point about Mark Clayton because John, this is after you had, because you had to run um, after our Monday pod to go back to OU. After you had left the office, uh, Rufus and I were actually off air. We were talking about um, we were talking about Charleston Rambo and that slant pattern he caught for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And I was I was just saying how I really enjoyed how Rambo actually attacked the football. He caught it exactly like you're taught to do with his hands. Um, and Jalen hit him right in stride, and it was a perfect play. Rufus, unprompted, said, reminded me of Mark Clayton. Exactly. <laughs> so, wow, I you, feel so smart. Yeah, so you guys are on the same wavelength there. <laughs> um, and, and the thing with Rambo, um, and especially Lincoln Riley's offense, if you go back to um, when he came here in 2015, now D.D. Westbrook in 2015 wasn't the Blitnikoff winner that he became the following season after Sterling Shepard uh, left. But ever since Lincoln's been here, he's always had a burner to take the top off the off, um, take the top off the defense. Excuse me, and it was D.D. Westbrook for for two seasons, and then it was Hollywood Brown for the next two seasons, and now it has to be Rambo. If Rambo's that guy, because Hazelwood, while immensely talented, I don't think has the speed of a Charleston Rambo. So it kind of needs to be Rambo at this point. You can still fill in Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, and Trajan Bridges here and there because everything else is going to be fine. You've got your big play possession receiver in CeeDee Lamb, who's incredibly reliable. You've got a bunch of great possession guys in Calcaterra, Braden Willis. Even Jeremiah Hall showed what he was able to do um, on that touchdown catch on Sunday. So really, like the key, if there's something missing outside of the offensive line, then maybe Jalen Hurts making some minor improvements. Rambo just needs to continue that consistency. I think that that's incredibly important. Yeah, and and to further your point, I would like to see some continued uh, growth out of the freshmen. Um, and, I, and I wonder what uh, you know, Grant Calcaterra last week. He caught uh, one pass, two passes, and anyway, yeah, nobody he, caught more he wasn't than three. really. Was he on the field that much? I, that's I, what I got. A, I got a text um, asking where is uh, Calcaterra, and I'm like, wait a minute. What do you mean he, he caught a pass? Or uh, he I, he was on the first drive for sure, and then he later on he caught a pass. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I don't think there's anything to worry about. But um, if he's if he's you know a okay, you know been cleared, good to go, no health issues or anything like that. Hell, oh, he doesn't. Oh, you doesn't I would expect really... him to have a potentially big day as well because, you know, he kind of was restricted last week. Hell, OU doesn't really need to put that much on tape anyway because, like, they were blowing out Houston. You don't really right. need to throw everything in the kitchen sink out there for UCLA, Texas Tech, and then Texas to see on film later on. Now, it's going to get to a point where you've got to play your guys, but it's better later than, you know, when everything is taken care of on the field. You don't necessarily have to throw everything out there. But one more thing before I get out, get you out of here, John. Um, we we kind of we talked about field goal kicking at the end of the last podcast on Monday. Everybody knows that this is pretty much a glorified field goal kicking practice. Well, it could be if Lincoln Riley sees it that way on Saturday. But um, I'm kind of mad at myself for ta- not talking about this on Monday. But I guess I'll just do it here. The other aspect of of the special teams question marks. You know, the thing, one thing that we've kind of taken for granted over the last few seasons was Seibert's, Austin Seibert's ability to kick the ball out of the end zone and, and prevent any or a lot of kickoff return opportunities for the opponent. We I, I did, I think in the second quarter, um, oh, you kicked the ball out of the end zone um, maybe a, a few times, but um, in that first quarter. After the, after the kickoffs, Burkich has uh, kicked off eight times and he uh, kicked four of them out of, out of the end zone or into the end zone. So basically when he was kicking with whatever minor wind was going yeah. on on Sunday, because it, it wasn't that windy at all that day, um, that that's that's alarming because I, I keep having flashback memories to the 2018, which went to the national championship against Florida, um, was pretty, pretty damn good on both sides of the football, except their one Achilles heel was they were terrible at kickoff at kickoff coverage. I think they gave up like four or five or six touchdowns returns that year. Um, that, that's something that needs to be addressed because um, you can have all the faith that you can in your guys to get downfield and make the tackle. But if you're giving guys a starting point at the five or ten yard line, that's that's kind of a hard hard thing to ask your guys consistently. I, I agree. Um, place kicking is certainly a concern. Although Lincoln Riley didn't seem to think so, and I think kickoff this this may be the natural the, the next evolution for Oklahoma, you know the the natural next step in losing a guy that did all three kickoff punts and place kicks for four years. You didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to recruit it. You didn't have to develop it. You didn't have to have those guys you know ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so so bringing guys in, new guys in to do the all the kicks. Uh, three new guys to do the three new kick, the three kicks is, um, and I think it will continue to be concerning. I'm not saying that they're going to be bad at it. I'm, I'm saying it's something that the special teams coaches, as they prepare their their units, uh, you know, respectively throughout the day in practice, as they uh, look at film and try to try to find weaknesses on, on that the opponent's going to bring or something that they can exploit. It's something that OU coaches are going to have to be cognizant of. Is the fact that hey, kicking the football. Sooners need to embrace. We're just not as good as we have been, and we need to we need to practice better. We need to get better at it. We need to. That's a that's a point of the game that we need to improve at. That's the that's the mindset that they need to take. Lincoln, whatever you're doing, and it, shout out to you if you're listening to the Inside OU podcast. But please, if you're ever going to listen to me, do not squib kick it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's done squib kicking. Oh. Oh, it hurts, John. It hurts so much. Um, John, I'll get you out of here. It's, it's the middle of the week. You've got to get ready for your show, the franchise drive from 6 to 8 on 107.7, the franchise. 
Um, so I'm going to let you get out of here, but thanks for uh, joining me for the last 25 minutes or so for a midweek pod. Looking forward to hearing it. You're going to get Gilman on later, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Gilman's going to be on after this little short break. Um, so yeah, we basically talked about his uh, article that he wrote for the franchise. Okay.com where he thought that oh, Lincoln Riley should sit Jalen hurts and Hey, it's, it's not that far fetched of an idea. So, um, we had a really good conversation about that. We had a really good conversation about just scheduling, you know, small schools like this and what, Oh, you should and college football team shouldn't do. Um, so it's really, it's worth the listen. So everybody stick with us and, uh, we'll, I'll get it out there as soon as possible. But, um, yeah, John, thank you so much for joining the pod, your pod, of course. Um, thank you to everybody that subscribes. Thank you to everybody that watches on John's, uh, YouTube channel, which again, that's just type in John Hoover on YouTube and you can get all the, uh, uh, press conference footage, you can get all uh, player interview footage, uh, drive recaps, and um, our Monday pods on film. So that's always exciting. The uh, views are climbing and climbing. So thank you to everybody that listens and watches, of course. But uh, for Mr. John Hoover, this is Brady Trantham. Once again, stay tuned for my uh, conversation with Andrew Gilman from the morning show on the franchise. Uh, but thank you, everybody, for listening. What's up, everybody? Right before the second part with uh, Andrew Gilman, I just want to take this time to say thank you guys so, so much for subscribing to the podcast, listening to the podcast, sharing it on Twitter, Facebook, wherever you guys share it. Um, We really appreciate it. The numbers are very, very good. They're very, very encouraging, and it makes it that much more fun to put out, you know, multiple shows a week, um, especially on game days when everybody's running around with the chicken with their head cut off. It makes it that much more enjoyable because we know that a lot of people are consuming the content, enjoying it. Of course, we try to do our best to make it entertaining and as informative as possible. So thank you guys so, so much. And one more thing, if you haven't already, wherever you listen to the Inside OU podcast, whether that be on Apple Podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, please, please, please leave a five-star review and a generic cool podcast. You know, you don't have to write a story about how good or bad we are. Just a generic little good review and it helps us out immensely. I can't tell you how much it helps us out. But yeah, one more time, everybody, thank you so, so much. But let's get to part two with Andrew Gilman. All right, what's up, everybody? Uh, thank you for listening to the first half of this podcast. Uh, John Hoover um, is, of course, a little busy. So in order to give out some a little bit more content, I, I wanted to bring on uh, our very own Andrew Gilman from 107.7 The Franchise. Uh, he's on the morning show from 545 in the morning, which is way too early for me. But this guy is able to do it every single day, Monday through Friday, until 9 a.m., um, Andrew, you actually wrote something on the franchiseok.com. Oh, and by the way, you're also on the All In podcast with Colby Powell and Chisholm Hall. And how dare I? The franchise. Right. And also, Brady. Yes. Five forty-five. Five forty-five. I wished we could start that late. We're at five twenty-five. Oh, oh, oh. Five forty-five. If I slept until if I could get there at five forty-five, I'd feel like a Saudi prince for sleeping <laughs> in that late. It'd be amazing. What a what a weird random time to start five twenty. Why don't you just start at five? Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Let's not tell Buddy about that. Let's make it as late as possible. There you I don't need anyone campaigning for more minutes off at this point. How was? How was? Did you work the Monday morning after the uh, Houston game? Were you guys uh, back yes, on? Yes. Oh. We did a Sunday. We did Sunday pregame. Also, we started at six on Sunday morning and then came back at five twenty-five on Monday morning. So not much of a weekend, but. It's really, uh, I, I can guarantee you this, a lot of people don't like uh, what I have to say, a lot of people don't like what I have to write, uh, fair, fair, all of that is fair, I, I guarantee you they don't want to hear about me complaining about what time to get to work. 
That's for sure. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's a given. Nobody ever really likes to hear journalists, personalities, writers, right. whatever. Right. No one wants to hear us bitch and moan about our jobs. <laughs> Most people would love to have my job. I'm grateful to have it. I love my job. It's wonderful. Sure, would I like to start at 7? Yes, I would. But that's just not the way it's going to be, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, and for those out there that are still like, well, screw you, Brady or Andrew, like blah, blah, blah. It's like, <laughs> hey, I'm, I wish I probably made the money that you make, whoever you are. So uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is yeah. a completely different conversation. Everybody has their pros and cons. But, uh, that's it, right. Andrew, you wrote something on the franchiseok.com that, mm-hmm. uh, needless to say, it got quite a bit of reaction. You know, probably a little bit of reaction. Probably fair yeah. to say at this point. Um, uh, you basically wrote that Jalen Hurts shouldn't play on on Saturday, and I almost had to check right. myself and not say Sunday because I was so used to telling myself Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. But no, this game is actually played on Saturday, like the rest of college football. So mm-hmm. um, now, I'll just give a quick thought. It's not that far fetched of an idea. I think people, I think people saying that you are an idiot <laughs> um, are probably. Let, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. They might be t- saying that you're an idiot because you know that's not going to happen. So why write it? But the idea itself really isn't that far fetched because yes, OU's going to win by 50 points, and yes, if if Jalen Hurts rolls an ankle and has to miss UCLA, and then uh-huh. OU has to go all the way to the Rose Bowl with either Tanner Mordecai or Spencer Rattler to they might be fine. They yeah, might be fine. They might be yeah. fine, but th- that could potentially derail you know a potential conference and playoff type season if Jalen uh-huh. Hurts gets hurt against a meaningless opponent in South Dakota. Right. But basically, I just wanted to give you the floor for a few minutes and just kind of go over what you wrote in your thought process. and Because um, I know you know what's going to happen, but just the thought we, process. We of know Jalen Hurts is going to play. And yeah. The reason we know that he's going to play is because football coaches, in, uh, again, I'm, I mean, in my experience of um, covering football for – uh, since 1995 is when I got out of college and started working as a writer um, and, and a couple newspapers and some websites and, and now covering football to some extent as just as far as analysis and opinion goes with the franchises. Football coaches are more scared to lose than they are wanting to win most of the time, most of the time. That's why you see the, 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 the line of thinking of, well, it's always been that way. It's always been done that way. Uh, teams don't kick it. Or don't kick, uh, they don't go for it on fourth and three very often. Uh, certainly not on fourth and seven, almost never, unless they're desperate and something needs to happen. Uh, and starting quarterbacks play, and that's what they do. Um, I think the situation with Jalen Hurts is unique. What I don't think is unique, though, is that the evolution of the football mind, and uh, Lincoln Riley, I think, is at the forefront of that. I think football coaches don't think the same ways that they used to in a lot of areas. Now they do uh, still like to kick it on fourth down. And I'm a definite proponent of always going for it in almost every situation. But it used to be, Brady, you know this, we didn't wear seatbelts in the car. Uh, People smoked at at a higher clip than they do now. And football coaches had guys in pads three to five times a week. You practice for a couple hours a day in the summer. You came back after lunch. You practiced a couple more, and you ran Oklahoma drill for an hour. Uh, you ran over guys. You learned to get, quote, unquote, tougher by hitting people. Well, they don't do that anymore. That's not the way it's done. They don't deny people water at practice. You don't just get a giant salt lake and get right back in there and rub some dirt on it. Poor Kelly Gregg. Poor Kelly Gray. Oh, 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was uh, born uh, maybe too soon, maybe played too soon. Conversely, or in addition, not conversely, but in addition, 
people don't smoke uh, the same way as they used to, and we wear seatbelts in the car because we're more educated than we were. It doesn't mean that people were idiots back then. It just means that we're smarter now. And with Jalen Hurts' situation, this is going to be the norm. It's not going to be this year or next year or maybe 10 years from now. But sooner than later, I think that you're going to see people protect their commodities. And Jalen Hurts is an absolute commodity. He's a 26-2 and starter in the SEC. Give him 27-2 now uh, with the win over Houston last week. He's a seasoned sort of veteran, if you can be that, in college football. He doesn't need the reps. And to me, coaches are going to start weighing this stuff. Sean McVay's done it in the NFL. Jared Goff hasn't played a preseason game in two seasons. Aaron Rodgers didn't take a snap this preseason. It's a rarity, but it happens. And the reason for that is very simple. The benefit, any benefit, whatever the benefit is, and there are many, getting reps, bonding with your team, getting sharper, all of those things make perfect sense. But the benefit of playing in these games, in the NFL would be preseason games, and in college football would be against South Dakota, a team that they cannot lose against. They can't lose. It won't happen. Um, The benefit just doesn't outweigh the risk. And the risk is what you mentioned. It could be a rolled ankle. It could be a torn ACL. It could be that he just bruises his elbow or something more or something less. The benefit, any benefit that Jalen Hurts would get out of this game does not outweigh the risk. And I think you're going to start seeing coaches do this. We're starting to see players sit out bowl games. Uh, there's some there's some word, and Eddie mentioned this. He didn't mention the kid's name, but there's some word about an OU commitment that's going to sit out his senior season in high school. Yep. Why? Because they're more interested in the benefit of playing when it matters. If OU's already offered a kid a scholarship as a junior in college, in junior high school, and he's sure that it's going to hold up through his senior year, what's the benefit of playing? Now, does it look like you're running out on your team? Sure. Does it look like uh, you're not uh, the consummate uh, professional and you're not uh, you're true you're not a true warrior and you're soft? Maybe. But everybody needs to also recognize that football is a, has a small short short shelf life they're not twinkies they don't they don't stay preserved forever these guys spoil like a banana and it only takes a couple of hits all you have to do is open up a banana or leave it out for a day or two and it, the consistency changes every time you can leave a boxing ring you leave as a different person and every time you leave a football game you leave as a different person some people are affected greatly some people are not and I think football coaches are going to recognize this at some point. It might not be today or tomorrow, but to me, Lincoln Riley could do Jalen Hurts and his team a service. Not a disservice, but a service by figuring out how to get him better in practice, which I think you could probably do versus playing these guys against South, South Dakota. Yeah, and you bring up a lot of good points, of course. Now, I think on the macro level, uh, in terms of the landscape of college football, we we get mm-hmm. to this we get to this point where like why why is OU playing these types of games? Why is Alabama playing the Citadel sure. in November um, well, in, the, in, in the middle of the SEC schedule? Like why are these games happening when you have six or seven home games a year um, mm-hmm. a, as a fan base to you know spend hundreds if seven, not thousands maybe. yeah hundreds if not thousands of dollars to go uh, watch it if you get a season ticket package. And one of them is a South Dakota game. It, it, it's it's just kind of a bummer. You know what's going yeah. to happen, and the only thing that can really happen long term is negative, an injury. That's exactly right. And That's, I wrote a little bit about that. These guys, these coaches, they're not going to admit it, but fans alike 
are watching this game through their fingers, you know? I mean, they're just barely, you can't even bear to watch like a horse, you know, like a, a really scary scene in a movie. You just sort of cover your face and you just hope for the best. And, oh, man, we got out of there 60 minutes and only one guy got hurt. Good for us. Yeah. That's, I... the, that, that's best case scenario is that they play these games and no one gets hurt because they learn nothing from these games. Not a senior, not a senior like Jalen Hurts, not somebody that's a, a, a seasoned uh, offensive lineman. I, it, could Spencer Rattler benefit from this game? Tanner Mordecai? Tanner Schaefer? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's why you play them in these games. For a guy that's 26-2 and two and has been in every possible situation that a college football quarterback could be in. Not in the Mountain West. He didn't play Boise State for a, a, a championship. He's played in every game possible. He's played in SEC championship games. He's played in a national championship game. Poorly, but he played in it. So... <laughs> South Dakota is not getting Jalen Hurts better. Practice is going to get Jalen Hurts better, yeah. more so than, than South Dakota. Do you play him against Kansas? Of course you do. Do you play him if you're Spencer Sanders? Of course you play Spencer Sanders at OSU. He hasn't played enough. But you play him in the games that count. This one doesn't. It just doesn't. Yeah, and that kind of goes into, like, I, I, I have three reasons why I believe coaches play their guys against these types okay. of opponents. and. The first two might be a little corny because you've kind of already talked about, look, he's not going to improve on any rhythm in the offense, uh, any honing of the offense, because uh, the things that Jalen Hurts needs to work on, anticipating throws, um, sure. reading defense is just a little bit better. I mean, he's no scrub by any means, but it's a high standard. Oh, that, it's a high standard for the quarterback at the University of Oklahoma under Lincoln Riley, but these those are things he needs to improve on. Lincoln's not going to ask him to make those throws against South Dakota. You don't need it on tape. Um, if you're going to learn how to do those things, you do it in practice, and then you pull it out against uh, a conference opponent or Texas. Um, so, right, right. So the rhythm kind of is a wishy-washy reason. Number two, and this might be a little bit more corny, just the disrespect factor. Because, yes, these colleges, these South Dakotas, the Florida A&Ms, they get paid you know, a lot of money to come get their ass kicked by these big-time school Power 5 schools. But at the same time, those are those are kids over there. Those are grown, young adults that are trying to make their way playing football and getting an education on the side. Um, then you have coaches, you know, that work their tails off. Maybe they're like at their dream school. Maybe they're at their local school. Maybe they're trying to um, climb up the ladder of the coaching tree. And the last thing you really want is just the utter disrespect of Lincoln Riley walking up to a Monday press conference and saying, "Oh, by the way, we're not playing anybody because we think this team is just trash." And yep. we think we can beat this team by forty with backups. So, when, like when it, you send that, that, that's right. It, it sounds awful to say that out loud. Yeah, it, it really does. But here's what the, the the truth of the matter is: he they're playing him because that's what coaches do. And yes, I don't think that necessarily Lincoln Riley is worried about the disrespect factor because him and Joe Castiglione decided we're going to write these guys a million dollar check. Is there anything more disrespectful than that? We're here. Take your money and take your whooping. Get your ass out of here. That's what they're really telling them. <laughs> so I don't think a Monday press conference in front of myself and, and Sam Mays and whoever else decides to show up and film that thing uh, uh, is disrespectful to say, we're saving Jalen Hurts. They're not opening the play- It's disrespectful for how they're going to treat South Dakota. They're not going to open the playbook. They're not going to show them anything. They're going to turn around and hand it off a bunch of times and run a bunch of safe plays because football coaches, by God, they're paranoid also. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, they don't want Texas to see something in this game. They want to surprise Texas. They don't want Kansas State to know something about their alignment. They want to surprise Kansas State with their alignment, or at least not show them anything more than they have to. 
So that's another reason. That's an, another reason not to put Jalen Hurts out there to run some sort of skeleton version of this offense anyway. That's silliness. Yeah, and especially calling 16. Now run Spencer Rattler out there and have him run the skeleton version because he's never done it before. Have Tanner Mordecai do it in the first quarter because he's not done it before. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah, and even like the disrespect factor, it's one thing for media members to say, well, that was a disrespectful thing that Lincoln Riley right. did. Uh, right. Whether it was you know, a potential sitting a guy after just one drive and just playing backups against an FC, uh, F- FCS opponent, or um, y- even if Spencer Rattler's in the game in the third quarter after Tanner Mordecai's played most of the first half and Lincoln Riley's still calling pass plays. Oh, that's disrespectful. OU's up by 50 points and they're still calling pass plays. Well, you need your guys, you need your backups to get reps and they, they get better reps not just by handing the ball off out of the shotgun. They, they need, like, it's, it, it for, for all we know, Opposing coaches probably understand that because, you know, South Dakota's head coach, he's probably been in that situation on the other side where he's had to, um, you know, call a lot of aggressive plays with backups just to teach them. So there's that. And then the third factor that I've kind of always used um, in games like this is before it was the BCS announced the playoff committee. When big time schools and especially schools that have playoff aspirations are playing these types of games and in OU's, you know, in OU's favor, um, Joe Castiglione, they rarely play these types of games, you know, and right. apparently somebody sure. backed out, you know, in the, over the last few years, some people say it was LSU. Some, I read some report that it wasn't exactly LSU. So who knows? So this is kind of out of OU's control and they had to schedule somebody. Um, but let's, let's just say that Lincoln Riley does say like, Hey, we're not playing Jalen Hurts. We're not playing Trey Sermon. We're not playing CD lamb or whatever. And then OU goes out there still wins, but they win, let's say like 38 to 17 the playoff committee already gets a lot of accusations of oh you just you just box score watch you didn't watch any of the games right. you didn't follow right. along like the, the theme of the game you didn't see all the intricate details that made up that game and why the score ended up that way if if one team that plays a bad school like OU is doing right now um, does that and then the Alabamas the Clemsons whoever they play don't do that and they beat those teams 75 to, to 3 well, it's it's just another disadvantage um, up to the playoff committee. You know, the human factor of just saying, "Wow, man, oh, you struggled." You know, kind of down the stretch in the conference in the in uh, conference play, and then look at this ugly South Dakota score. That's that's silly. Now, if if Jalen Hurts sat, that would be obviously tossed around in that committee room. Like, hey, yeah, that score doesn't look pretty. Oh, you didn't play like eight, nine, ten guys. So th- that's right. probably why, but that's just been always something that's kind of like been my reasoning, like why Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, those types of schools don't sit players in mass against FC- FCS opponents. Yeah, I think you make a good point. I, I-, I would guess that they would look at more than the box score. I don't really know. We don't know what the criteria is for any of the committee. That's what's so screwy about it in a lot of ways. But uh, when OU won the national championship in 2000, you look at their schedule, it's not that hard to find. Yeah, uh, UTEP, Rice. They didn't play anybody. UTEP Rice, and who was the, who was the third one? Oh, Nobody man. any good. No, it, that, That's the point. Is it, yeah. it was miserable, right? It was a terrible non-conference schedule. And OU managed to make a BCS championship game on the strength of, one, being undefeated, and two, uh, whipping a bunch of really good teams in the conference yeah, that year. Big 12 was was like good. The, the Big 12 was Kansas like the State SEC back Nebraska, then. They were all stacked. They were really stacked. That was a great run for OU. They, they got in because they swept the Big 12. And nobody around here cares who they beat as long as they beat everyone. And OU is in a position 
thanks to, um, I don't know, 75 years or so of being pretty good at football, that they get the benefit of the doubt. Oklahoma State doesn't. Um, Ohio State does. Uh, Purdue doesn't. Alabama does. Uh, to be elite in college football is is a special uh, honor bestowed among and to the very, very few. The yeah. very, very few. So it doesn't matter who OU beats. And in fact, I've even made the case over the years that OU should schedule more teams like UTEP and Rice over and over and over again. It sucks for the fans. It's not a great game to experience. But what you have is you're guaranteeing yourself that you're not going to lose games and you're not going to lose ground. You are also eliminating any wiggle room of having having lost games. In the last couple of years, Joe Castiglione has done it the right way. They've scheduled a tough game that they've lost one, but because they've scheduled good enough and won when they really had to, they got in. But they got in because they're OU, and they schedule tough. Yep. They're going to get in if they play crappy opponents week in and week out and sweep the Big 12. It's just going to be the case. So I would always make the case that uh, the fans don't really care if there's a victory parade. They sort of care in the moment. Oh, sure, we'd rather see LSU, but wouldn't you rather beat Rice than maybe lose to LSU? I think most fans... Maybe if they're really honest with themselves, the ones that interact with us regularly on Twitter, the ones that won't even use their damn name on Twitter but are OU Boomer and tweet at recruits all the time, they want the wins. <laughs> they want the wins. Those are the ones that get most upset if you suggest anything anything at all that's not 100% crimson-colored glasses sort of stuff to, to, to them at all, at all times. So, yeah, it would send a bad message if you didn't play Jalen Hurts, but you know what sends a really better message is winning and November and December. No kidding. It's not. It's not exactly the same thing, and it sucks for fans. But man, you buy a ticket, I'm like, yes, we got the Heat coming to town. LeBron, D Wade, Bosh, and two of them sit because they're tired. Or the Spurs <laughs> are the Spurs are lining up against the Cavs. It's their one, their two times they're playing this year, and everyone sat. Tim Duncan doesn't play. Tony Parker's out. LeBron sits. It sucks. But the reason that they're doing that is simple. They want to win at the end of the season, not the beginning. And the reason that you sit Jalen Hurts this game is because you're mitigating any possible damage. You're mitigating as much as you can. You lock your car. It can still get stolen, right? But you're not going to leave your car unlocked on a busy street. You mitigate it as much as you possibly can. It doesn't keep it from getting stolen. It doesn't mean Jalen Hurts wouldn't get hurt in practice or the next week against Kansas on a meaningless play. But if you can mitigate the damage... You lock all the doors and you set the alarm. And that's what you're doing when you set when you set Jalen Hurts down. You're locking the doors. You're trying to prevent a problem before it happens. You're being proactive, not reactive. Yeah. And I think, to take it full circle here, Lincoln Riley is a proactive coach. He's figured out Twitter. He's a master manipulator on Twitter and recruiting. He seems to be at the very top of the class. He's offensively seen as a guy that's got it figured out. And, um, you know, I mean... NFL coaches come to see what Lincoln Riley has to say about things. He's going to be at the forefront of change. Uh, to me, this is a perfect opportunity for it. I, I could see him leading the way on something like this because as soon as he does it, everyone else would do it. And as soon as some guy does it with some success, everyone else is too because college football, just like anywhere else in life, is, uh, is, is absolutely copycat. Everyone runs the pistol formation now. Everyone runs RPO now because it works yeah. until something else works, until something else does. Yeah, and you know, backtracking a little bit real quick before I get get you out of here, Andrew. Um, I've always felt like when OU, like teams like OU, when they are kind of forced to, okay, if the Tennessees, the Ohio States, the you know whoever, if they're busy, 
play somebody like play it like even like you said play like Rice, UTEP, Tulane, Tulsa because you can even play them on the road and there's still benefits to that. One, you get your team on the road and you teach them how to win. You teach younger players how to win on the road. Uh, uh-huh. Number two, there's the recruiting angle. If you go play in New Orleans, go play down in Southeast Texas, um, go play yeah. UTSA. You know, you're in hotbed recruiting grounds, so it's just that much better for your program in terms of getting guys that may not be able to make it to Norman for an 11 a.m. kickoff. That makes sense. Yeah. Oklahoma State or your Kansas State or your South Alabama to go play in these areas. But if you're Oklahoma, you basically just show them a fistful of championship rings and you flash that OU in front of them. That impresses people too. You know what we got at OU? That's what if I was Lincoln Riley, we got two dozen 11 win seasons out of the last 15 years or the last 25 years we've won 10 or more games whatever the stat is we win big 12 championships like we change underwear and it doesn't matter who they play they're getting the recruits now if you're a great recruiter like lincoln riley is you can even use that to have even more of your advantage yeah i don't think it matters if they play in houston or they play in provo or they play at more high school people are coming to OU. Yeah, well, um, Andrew, um, really good stuff. By the way, everybody, um, re- um, everybody, go check out the article. It's on the franchiseok.com by Andrew Gilman. Uh, it's really easy to find. It has a picture of Jalen Hurts on it. Um, and like, I'll just go ahead and say this for everybody out there. Andrew is also expecting to see Jalen Hurts trot out there on Saturday when he sits down to yes. watch the game. He like, <laughs> we both. That's we, exactly right. Yeah. Hey, quick question for you before I go. Oh yes. Can please. I now put on my LinkedIn bio? Frequent podcast contributor. Is oh, that allowed yeah. now? Can I add that to my can I add that to my bio? Oh hell yeah! I went I went okay. to po- I went to podcast university, so uh, you can say that you got an honor- honorary degree just like I do. You can you can vouch for me then. Definitely, <laughs> I need I need someone to vouch for me. Frequent podcast contributor. That's what I've always wanted to be. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, of course, Andrew. Thank you. And then, of course, everybody, I already mentioned it, but Andrew Gilman is a featured host on the All In podcast with Chisholm Holland and Colby Powell. Um, it's a great place. It's free. Um, it's a great place to go get all of your um, sports betting fixes, all of your fantasy sports fixes. Andrew, Colby, and Chisholm, they do a wonderful job. I'm not even that big of a sports gambler, but I still listen to it. And, I, hell, I learned some stuff on there. So uh, if you're not into it, Still give it a chance. If you are into that kind of thing, it's a great place to go get all that kind of content and information. And like I said, it's free. So subscribe to the All In Podcast, everybody. But once again, I just wanted to give a shout out to John Hoover for joining me earlier. Um, I will not be here um, this weekend. I will be in California because I don't want to watch OU destroy South Dakota either. But uh, John Hoover, Rufus Alexander should keep you covered for pregame for the pregame predictions and then the postgame stuff. We'll try and do either Monday or Tuesday, but uh, we'll get back to you on that. But once again, thank you to Mr. Andrew Gilman and everybody for listening to the Inside OU Podcast. Y'all have a great day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Listen to John Hoover weekdays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.